we conclude our consideration of chapter 3, verses 4 to 10, in our Bible lessons from the first epistle of John. We have seen this passage to be of great import, and as containing three essential lines of truth. We have discussed first the pathway of sin, which has a clear description in this passage, being that one of lawlessness, or a refusal to comply with intelligence, or a refusal to walk in love, and an insistence to abide in a state of selfishness. Then we have seen the wonderful advent and atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ presented in this passage. The express purpose for which the Lord Jesus came into this world was that the works of the devil might be destroyed or undone. And thus, thirdly, we come to observe the pathway of salvation or the pathway of true reconciliation to God. And in chapter 3, verse 6, we read these important words, Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. So we may notice that absolute deliverance from sin is possible by abiding in Christ. We have the simple statement, Everyone who in him is continually abiding is not sinning. So this verse simply states that when the true Christian is abiding by faith, in the resurrected and glorified Christ, in the provision of the fullness of the Holy Spirit, there is no lawlessness abiding in him, and thus no sin. This abiding, indeed, may be intermittent, but cannot be partial when it does exist. It is very important to notice this in connection with this positive statement. The statement, then, in chapter 1 of verse 8 cannot refer to what the true Christian has when abiding in Christ, but must refer to what the unrepentant sinner and the unrepentant Christian in willful departure from God has when he is unwilling to acknowledge, forsake, and confess his sin so that his heart may be forgiven and cleansed and delivered. It is very important to notice this, that the wonderful gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is one of deliverance. Deliverance is not optional. When we get in proper relation to the resurrected Christ, we are delivered when we abide in his wonderful love. We may read hurriedly a number of passages on this most profound theme, for indeed the New Testament is filled with the wonderful concept of deliverance. You recall in John 8, verse 36, the Lord Jesus said, If the Son therefore shall set you free, ye shall be free indeed. The freedom in Christ was a wonderful thing. In the 15th chapter of John's Gospel, in verses 3 to 5, the Lord Jesus spoke to his disciples thus, Now are ye clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. So when we say that it is gloriously possible to live without sin, we are emphatically insisting on this last phrase, Without me ye can do nothing. But we are equally insisting on the wonderful relationship of faith in the resurrected Christ, that when we are looking to him 
in total submission and humility and in confidence and in faith and in an attitude of forsaking all known sin and all hatred of heart and all bitterness of spirit, we are at that moment of abiding, not continuing in sin. This is the wonderful provision that occupied so much of the Lord's prophecy and teaching. We have read John 4, verses 13 and 14, where the Lord Jesus addressed this lady in these words, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up or gushing up in the greatest abundance into everlasting life. Think of the import of this prophecy of our Lord Jesus. But further in the 7th of John and verses 37 on through 39 we read in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly or out from within his innermost parts shall flow rivers or the greatest abundance of living water. Consider the import of this prophecy. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. But there was a tremendous time of bestowal coming, and this was an exceeding joyful thought to the Lord Jesus Christ, and indeed became the thought that helped him to endure the cross and despise the shame, so that his atonement might be made, so that he might be resurrected again from the dead in a gloriously accomplished redemption, so that he might ascend to the Father and bestow the glorious gift of the Holy Spirit, so that his true children may have wonderful spiritual victory. This is the basis of his comments. In the 16th of John, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And so we come to the first chapter of the book of Acts, where the Lord Jesus said, In his resurrected glory, forty days after his resurrection, ye shall receive power. Verse 8, After that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. Then in chapter 2 of Acts, verse 4, we have the wonderful statement, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues or other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. And certainly in this wonderful visitation of the Spirit, they were gloriously delivered from the pathway of sin and had to have no apology for their actions and for their lives. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 5 we read, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given to us. So the fullness of the Spirit floods the soul of the repentant and faithful Christian with the wonderful love of God and gloriously delivers him from the power of sin. In 6th chapter of Romans, verse 14, we read, For sin shall not have dominion over you. Why not? Why is this wonderful state possible and habitual? For ye are not under the law or under a principle of law, but under grace or under the principle of resurrected relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And this glorious relationship it causes the fullness of the Spirit to endue the Christian with power so that he lives by the grace of God in that realm of spiritual dominion and not in the realm of spiritual defeat. We come to Galatians 5 and verse 16 we read, Walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, and so forth. And then down in verse 22, 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Here is a perfect state of deliverance. And so we might go on. As, for example, in Romans 8, 3, and 4, we have the fact revealed that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. And in 2 Corinthians 3, in verse 17, now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed or are transfigured into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And so we see a great abundance of testimony in the Word of God that those who truly love the Lord Jesus Christ can so abide in Christ as to have wonderful victory. But as we return to 1 John 3, we notice in the second place that it is not only possible to live without sin by the grace of God, but that those who are habitually living in the lawlessness of selfishness have no right whatever to think themselves in a state of salvation and on their way to heaven. For we read in verse 6, Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Then we may remark in the next place, that the salvation of the gospel is so definite and marked a pathway that those who are seeking the truth cannot be misled. Verse 7, Little children, let no man deceive you, or let no man lead you astray, for the pathway is truly a definite one. The Lord Jesus said the tree is known by his fruit, and either a tree will be made good and the fruit good, or a tree will be evil and the fruit evil. We notice in the fourth place that there is no such thing as a righteous standing before God that is not accompanied by an inworked righteousness of heart and life by the grace of God and by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. In chapter 3, verse 7, the last part we read, He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. Or we may say, he who is doing or practicing righteousness is righteous according as he is righteous. The righteous standing of the true Christian before God is based upon an inworked righteousness of personal relationship to God through resurrected Christ, rather than through some system of technical imputation that leaves the life unaffected. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory, as the apostle testified, so ably in Colossians 1.27. In the fifth place, it may be remarked that it is such a remarkable spiritual transaction, this glorious relationship with God through the salvation of the gospel, that it bears a similarity in the spiritual realm to our physical birth in the physical realm. And thus we have in verse 9, whosoever is born of God, what a wonderful expression. This figure has been previously discussed. We notice in the sixth place that the new birth into the spiritual realm of God in this glorious age of grace is such a profound relationship that the practice of sin is difficult. Oh, how remarkable is this statement of the grace of God. We read in verse 9, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Or we may render, because his seed, or the divine energy, is continually remaining in him as a vital force, and he is not able to be continually sinning or practicing sin 
because out of from God he has come to be begotten. It is not that the true Christian is not able to sin, but that he is not able to continue in sin without disturbance of conscience due to the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And thus we have in Ephesians 4.30 the admonition, Grieve not the Holy Spirit. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, Quench not the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is a mighty agency and a powerful force in the true child of God to restrain him from the pathway of sin. In the seventh and last place we notice that to be a child of God is to be in a state of love. He who is not loving his brother is not in a state of right relationship to God. Thus we have hurriedly remarked upon some of the remarkable things of this passage from the Word of God. Our Heavenly Father, seal to us the force of thy wonderful word and thy wonderful truth, and make it live before all the hearers. And we pray that many may respond to thy tender, gracious presence and enter into this profound relationship of the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.